Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. At one point in my basketball career, I thought maybe I was good enough to play Division I basketball. I went to Eastern Kentucky University for my undergraduate work, and we had a Division I team that didn't have a very good record. And I'd go to some of the games, and I'd sit in the stand and think, I could probably play with those guys. I could probably at least sit on the bench. And I was playing every day after class pickup courts basketball. And you know what? I was all right. In fact, if you play with me now, you wouldn't know it, but I used to shoot pretty good, or I thought I did. And um, I thought, I think next year I'm just going to walk on. And that afternoon, the uh, Division I Eastern Kentucky Colonel basketball team showed up at the pickup courts. And you know, I didn't even think about the statistic that it says less than 1% of all high school basketball players make Division I. I didn't even think about that statistic because here they came. And, and this is what it was like when they came in. I was like, oh, you guys are so tall. And then we played a game. And uh, I remember one of the guys that was about my height, the only one on the team that was my height, stole it from me underneath this basket. And he raced to the other end and laid it up under that basket before I even got to the foul line of this side. And I realized not only were they taller than me, but they were faster than me. And my dream of playing any college basketball died that day. A quick, horrible death. I still like to play, but it's not my greatest strength. And I found out through the years of serving and trying different applications in the church that my gift is teaching. I'm actually a pretty decent teacher, and I feel like God has given me a gift to teach. And that's okay that I'm not good at one thing, but I'm good at another. You know, the scripture says that everybody in the church, everybody, everybody in Christ, everybody who belongs to Christ has been given by God a gift to serve in the body of Christ, the church. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about serving people. Everybody, the scripture says, has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit to serve other people if you're in Christ. Today, we're going to talk about what that means as the church that we've been gifted to serve, what that means for us individually and collectively. Allow me to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to transform us and transform our thinking to align with God's thinking. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have given us this passage of scripture we're going to look at today that talks about how we can please you with our worship. Lord, as we talk about that passage and as we read it and discuss it and learn from it, Lord, would you allow our eyes to be open to what is true and our ears to be open to hear the truth? And would you allow that truth to sink down into our hearts to transform us from the inside out and lead us to action for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The passage of Scripture we're going to teach out of today is Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Of course, if you have a Bible and you're not used to turning there, there's only like one 
eighth of a Bible left by the time I get to Romans over here in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12. The big letters are, the big numbers are the chapters, the small numbers are the verses. Of course, if you're digital, you just push a button and you're at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 is where we'll start. Paul wrote this letter to be read out loud to house churches in Rome. There was probably between 8 and 20 house churches that this letter would go to and be passed around and read out loud and get fee- probably get feedback as they read it, answer questions as they read it. And um, he was writing to a community of believers that was made up, these small house churches, they would kind of meet in the living room or the business space of the home, and it would have people who owned slaves and slaves meeting in the same church. People who were rich and people who were poor. People who were high status and people who were low status. And Paul, in this letter, he was writing to them, and he called them those with strong faith and those with weak faith. And what we find out from reading the letter, that there were Jewish Christians... Jews who converted to follow Jesus that still tried to live by the Old Testament laws. And then there were Gentile Jesus followers, those who never even heard of the Old Testament and didn't think they needed to live by the Old Testament laws. They were all meeting in one home or several homes. And so this letter was to stop some of the fighting that was going on between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to bring about a unity in love based on Christ. And toward the second half of the book, he, Paul really, the Apostle Paul really gets into this nitty-gritty on how to live, how to serve, if you are supposed to be one in Christ. And here we find this passage in chapter 12 where he says, this is how you're going to please God with your worship. And by worship, he doesn't mean singing. A lot of times we say we're going to come in and worship together and we think singing. But worship involves so much more than singing. It is singing. It's also praying. It's also taking communion together. It's also hearing the word taught. It's also holding each other accountable. It's also uh, participating in communion together. It's also serving. Worship is our whole life. And Paul says this is how you should start living. Here's where he begins to speak. He says, we can please God with our worship if we have the right attitude and the right actions. And in this passage, he gives us the right attitude, right actions. Verse 3 of chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we through many, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here we find a passage gets down to the nitty-gritty of how we're supposed to live in attitude and action to please God in worship. First is our attitude. Paul states it very clearly here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Having the right attitude means we think of ourselves equal in salvation and essential in service. Equal in salvation and essential in service. Here's what I mean by equal in salvation. 
We all need Jesus to rescue us by dying on the cross, and we are all valuable enough that Jesus came for us. We should never get our thinking too high or too low if we are in Jesus looking at the cross. Of course, for this, these home churches, this was a real problem for them. Both groups, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, were looking down on one another. The Jewish Christians, they were looking down on Gentile Christians because they didn't know or have the law of Moses. They didn't know about this great history of where Jesus came from. They didn't realize that there used to be a temple and a sacrificial system and a Sabbath keeping and special days and holy days. They didn't have any of that stuff. And they looked at them. The the Jewish Christians probably had more scruples than the Gentile Christians. And they would look down on them and say, oh, they are not as good as we are. And the Gentile Christians didn't have any of that past. They didn't have any of that baggage to bring with them when they started worshiping Jesus Christ and started obeying him. And they would look down on the Jewish Christians because of the things they couldn't do. And they had this back and forth, like who was better? Paul said, if you have strong faith, you need to put up with those who have weaker faith. So if you think you have the stronger faith, your job is to prove you have stronger faith by pulling back and helping those who are weaker. And if you have weaker faith, he said, you're not supposed to look down on the people who have freedom. He wants us to have the right attitude. Well, if we go to the cross, we have the right attitude. If you start thinking too highly of yourself, start thinking that you obey more rules than other people, you've never really been in trouble, you know more than the Bible than the other people, you've been to Sunday school, you got the Sunday school pin. Anybody remember Sunday school pins? If you went to Sunday school to get a Sunday school pin, you were going for the wrong reason. Okay. You might start thinking, I'm better than the person who didn't get the Sunday school pin, who wasn't able to make it every week, who, didn't, who wasn't the fastest turning to the scripture in sword drills. When I was growing up, that was a really big claim of pride. If you could find Romans chapter 12 faster than the seatmate next to you. But if we go to the cross, we, can't, we stop thinking too highly of ourselves. Because we realize Jesus Christ died on that cross because I sinned. Because I am a sinner. Not just I sinned, I am a sinner. We're all bent toward being selfish. We're all bent toward taking advantage of others. And we have all done it. Because of that, Jesus Christ had to come to earth, crossing the universe to die on the cross in our place and take away our sin. His body absorbed our sin on the cross. If I hadn't sinned, he would not have had to die for me. So I have no right to look down on anybody else. I don't know anybody else's sins, but I know all of mine. And if I know one or two of yours, then I probably know one or two of yours. But I know all of mine. If I turn to the cross, I should never think too highly of myself. And on the other hand, if I turn to the cross, I should never think too lowly of myself. I don't think America for the past 20 years has had a self-esteem problem, but maybe that has switched in the last five years. Suicide attempts are up. People are more lonely. They're more isolated. They're more depressed than they've been in a long time. So maybe our low esteem problem has arisen again. 
But if we turn to the cross, we should never have low esteem either. We should have proper esteem for ourselves. See, our value is not based on how many friends we have. Our value is not based on how good we are at basketball. Our value is not based on whether we are good at something or successful at something. Our value is based on how much someone is willing to pay for us. Our Father gave His Son for you and me. How valuable. We are so valuable to the Lord. So if we ever get too high, we turn to the cross. And if we ever get too low, we turn to the cross. If we ever start thinking too high of ourselves, we remember that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're successful or a failure. We have all sinned and are in need of a Savior. When we go down into the water to be baptized into Christ, it doesn't matter if you are rich and you have a fancy hairdo and fancy clothes. When you go down in the water, you come up and your hairdo is a mess and your clothes are soaked. And it's not humiliating. It is humbling to realize we needed a death and resurrection of a Savior to save us. It's humbling to realize we need to be buried to our old way of living and our old life and be raised as a new person. And then we remember that Jesus crossed the universe for us, one preacher says, because he loves us and he gave himself for us. Paul says we need to think properly about ourselves, equal in salvation, but essential in service. There's no part of the body of Christ That is necessarily more important than another. But we all kind of need one another to have a healthy, functioning church. Paul continues in chapter 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We need to think properly about our place in the church. The church is sometimes called the body. To have a healthy, functioning body, we need our body parts to be there functioning in a healthy manner. And all body parts are more important than we realize. For example, I grew up believing, and I think I was taught this, that the appendix is an unnecessary body part. Now, having no function and being able to live without are two different things. See, I grew up believing the appendix had no function. That's not true. The appendix has a function in the body. When babies are being developed, the appendix is the place that helps them have regulatory hormone and doctrine system and homeostatic uh, processes. You can tell I'm a medical person, right? It's essential. The appendix is essential for the healthy development of babies. As an adult, the appendix helps with the immune system and with gut health. One of the things the appendix does, this is so cool, I didn't even know this. The appendix will introduce your white blood cells to pathogens so they can create antigens to fight off sickness. That's kind of important. 
And the appendix is one of the few organs in your body that can switch functions. Sometimes doctors will go in with a person who has an unhealthy body part somewhere else and they'll take the appendix and they'll put the appendix there in place of that body part and it will function as a new body part. Appendix is pretty important. I didn't even know that. Now, just because you can live without your appendix doesn't mean it doesn't have an important function. The pinky. Some of you might think the pinky is not very important. If you lose function of your pinky, you lose up to 50% of your hand strength, your grip strength. Much less, you're not going to be able to control things as much when you grip them. Your pinky toe. I had a friend of mine in high school who cut off some of his toes with a lawnmower. You know, he had trouble walking after that. Your pinky toe helps with balance, helps with running, jumping, and skipping. Can you live without your pinky? Can you live without your pinky toe? Can you live without your appendix? Yes. Does that mean you're going to function as a healthy body? No, you you will not function as a healthy body if you're missing those parts. In the church, we need to think about our place in the church because every single person is essential for the service and healthy functioning of the church body. As a church, the Bible describes us kind of as a family sometimes. Family, healthy families have various degrees and functions. You need grandparents to be able to pass on wisdom. You need parents with the energy and discipline of the children. You need children to obey. You need brothers and sisters to look out for one another. We have a healthy function in the family. We're also called a flock. Well, I think we're called a flock because sheep are really dumb sometimes and they need to be led to the right place. I think we function that way sometimes. We're also called the temple because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're known in the scripture as the pillar of truth in a world full of darkness because we as a church collectively and individually should hold out the truth to people who are acting in insane ways. We just need to hold the truth out for them. We don't have to convince them, but we need to hold the truth out and shine like stars in the heaven. We're also called the body. The people of the church are called Christ's body. We become his hands and feet, and we go and do the things Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. And we serve in such ways that it makes the body healthy. Every single person is essential in service to the healthy functioning of the body of Christ. And we need to have this attitude in our minds of where we fit in the church. We need to have our attitude of our proper understanding of who we are in Christ. Not too high, not too low, sober, sound judgment about who we are. But we also need to know we are essential in service for the body to function correctly. I met with, uh, I'll tell that story in just a minute. Paul talks about what attitudes we need to have. But he also tells us that attitude needs to move into action. And so he gives us some service opportunities, some service ideas with a list of what we call spiritual gifts in the second half of this, these verses. Starting with verse 6, he starts talking about different giftings people have to serve in such a way that honors and pleases God. To use your functioning in the body of Christ to please God in worship. And he he gives a list. Now, when I read through this list, this is not an all-encompassing list. In fact, there are three or four different places in the Scripture that mentions spiritual gifts that Christians, Christ followers, are given by the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's an all-encompassing spiritual gift list. I think these are places and functions that Christians serve in that help complete the mission of the church. 
we have a specific mission given to us by God. And that is to win outsiders to Jesus Christ. And when we win them to Christ, to grow them up in Christ. Win them to Christ and then mature them in Christ. The restoration movement, which is what our church came out of, the Church of Christ, Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, we came out of what's called the restoration movement. About 200 years ago, there were different denominational churches that said, in these local congregations, without talking to one another, they said, you know what, we need to really focus on winning people to the gospel. How can we do that? And they started scratching their head and they said, you know what, if we had unity in love on the essential things of Jesus... We're going to win more people to Christ. And if we taught the Bible correctly, we're going to win more people to Christ. And so there were two great slogans and pleas that came out of the restoration movement. One was, on essentials, we're going to have unity, and everything else we're going to give liberty and grace. So if it's essential to knowing Jesus, we're going to teach that. We're going to be one on that. And then we're also going to look at what the what the first church looked like. The, the, if we could have a perfect church from the New Testament, we're going to teach those things. We're going to have doctrinal purity, doctrinal correctness for the point of the mission. The mission was to win people to Christ. And so they said, unity will help us win people to Christ and correct doctrine will help us win people to Christ. Over the years, our churches, our brother, our tribe of Christians, we have a tendency to begin getting off mission and start focusing on two of the things that help the mission. And so you'll have, you'll have churches that get really good at teaching correct doctrine, but they have no love. Because they make correct doctrine the mission of their church instead of winning people to Jesus as the mission for church. Or you'll have unity, and so you'll stop teaching correct doctrine so you can all unite around something that doesn't even make sense. That's insanity. But there are churches that do that and they become, they move further and further and further away from Scripture so they can get more and more people to agree. And they make that their main goal instead of winning people to Christ. For the church to work in a healthy way, we have to keep the mission, the design by God, the number one reason why we gather and why we grow. Win people to Christ and then grow them up in Christ. And we're going to do that, Paul says, through this action of worship. And then he talks about different gifts that people have. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. What that means is God has put a gift within you, a talent or skill that's Holy Spirit inspired, and he's given you enough of that gift for you to serve the body that you're connected to. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy. Prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. It is, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Seven different gifts. They're not all the gifts I think the Holy Spirit gives. They're not all the different ways that you can serve. But I bet there's a lot of us in here that fall under some of these categories. I love how Paul separates the idea that there is a priest category and a lay person category. Here he says, we all work together as one body. There is paid ministry staff, there's unpaid volunteers, and they're all really, really important, essential for the working of the body. And different people have different gifts that help them accomplish the mission of the church. Recently, our staff took a productivity profile, kind of like those personality profile, DISC, Myers-Briggs. This one was on productivity. We found out during this productivity profile that everybody on staff had different gifts on ways to get things done. 
I found out that I'm not as inventive or creative as Nick, our worship leader, or Jacob, our online minister. And that's okay because we need creative people on our team. I found out what I'm really good at is taking an idea and looking at it and then having an an idea, gut feeling on whether it will work or not work and how to make it a little bit better. But I couldn't create the idea because I'm not very good at that. And then, you know what? We have some people on staff that are really good at getting the job done. We need everybody on staff for us to fulfill the mission. Likewise, we need all these different parts of the body to fulfill the mission of the church. If your gift is prophesying, you need to prophesy. Now, what this means, we confuse it sometimes. We start thinking prophecy means predicting the future. In the Old Testament, the prophets only 17% of the time used their prophecy to predict the future. 80 What's the math there? 83% of the time, they were using it to say, this is the word of God. And they were inspired by God to speak into a situation to encourage, to warn, to pass judgment, to call people to repentance, or to give people truth. Have you ever met anybody that is just really good at giving advice, and they can see a situation and speak truth into it, and you think, man, I am so glad they showed up and told us what we should do, or they spoke truth in a situation. Have you ever met somebody like that? They might be gifted in what the scripture calls prophecy, just speaking the word of God to people, speaking truth to people. I think some of us in here have that gift. And you know, the church as a whole needs that. When we meet in our small groups and we start talking about our families, there's somebody in our group usually, we have a question, we need help. They're able to say, you know what? I've got an idea there. They might have that gift where they can speak truth into a situation. Paul says that's essential for the church. For us to be healthy, we need to be held accountable to what is true. We need to be warned that we're traveling down a path that is destructive or could lead to death. Those are our prophets. And I'm not talking about speaking words of confusion. I'm talking about speaking words of encouragement and truth. But maybe your gift is serving. There are so many people that serve behind the scenes that none of this would happen on Sunday morning if there weren't people serving behind the scenes that never get credit for the work they're doing. That productivity profile that we took as a staff, it said that 70% of Americans fall into the final stage of producing things, getting the job done. And they either love to help people get the job done or they love getting the job done. 70% of Americans, because things need to get done. You know, around a church family, we need things to get done, and there are people that love to do that kind of work. A couple of weeks ago, we had a spaghetti lunch. There were guys from the cave. Not all the guys from the men's group called the cave came and helped cook, but there are some guys that belong to the men's group. They love to get things done. And so we had guys cooking spaghetti and cooking sauce and making bread and then serving, and then we had some uh, some. Uh, other servants in our body go and help them. We had them setting up tables and set up chairs. They just love to get things done. And you know, they're not out in front getting any applause. They're not getting any praise. And they don't care. They didn't want any applause or praise. They just wanted to get things done. And they love doing it. They love serving that way. Last week during our testimony Sunday, we had nine to 10 different testimonies of people who served and people who were served. Kevin Reed got on. He was the guy with the beard who said, man, I I just really hesitated to speak because he doesn't want any promotion. He just wants to get things done. And he is so good at getting things done. I'm bragging on him and it embarrasses him. He just loves to serve behind the scenes. 
Last, when he did that video, he wasn't going to do the video because he was embarrassed. He didn't want any, any type of publicity for what he's doing. Then his wife convinced him to do it. He showed up to do the video. He told Nick, I don't think I want to do this. And then Nick had to convince him. You know, his testimony was really powerful because he said in the testimony, everybody has the ability to help somebody else. And we're all called to do that in the church. I think some of us in here fall into that 70%. We love to help people get the job done or we love to get the job done ourselves. Church needs that. You know, there are people that set the chairs up for you. So you came in here and you didn't have to worry about where you're going to sit today. I bet you didn't even think about that. You know, there are people who set the temperature to be the right temperature when you come up. And you know, most of the time it's right. I bet you didn't even think about that. That happens behind the scenes. Do you know that air conditioner heater compression system? It breaks sometimes. There are people that work on it. We didn't even think about that. People that sweep the floors, people that do the windows, people that clean the bathrooms, they do that all behind the scenes and they're serving out of love and they don't even want any, they don't want anybody to know. Eric Hazlett, who's going to be baptized in just a couple of Sundays, he's been coming to church for a little while. He told me, he said, Dale, I've got... I've got technical skills that I want to apply. You know where he's been serving the last two Sundays, last three Sundays? He's been learning how to do our, <laughs> our budget cable television show that we put on Facebook and YouTube. And today, you can turn around, he's working the camera because he's learning how to do the technical things that go on behind the scenes. He doesn't want anybody to know he's doing that. He's right there. Go ahead, you can look. Eric, they're all waving at you. He just wants to serve because he knows how to get things done and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. (laughs) If it is teaching, then teach. If you're good at communicating what the scripture says in ways that people can understand so they can grow up and mature in Christ, we've got places for you to teach. The problem with uh, this American culture church, (laughs) there's more than one, The person with the microphone that's good at teaching also sometimes becomes the celebrity or the person that people think is most important. The person with the microphone is not most important. And it's not necessarily the most important job because every body part is essential. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. And the ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you. They're all important. What good is it if we had one eyeball and that's all we were? Andy Stanley, several years ago, he did a sermon series on the different body parts that serve in the church, and he started with a visual aid. He had a foot in a jar on stage, and it was disgusting. And then he told everybody, that's gross, isn't it? And then he said, it's not real. They wouldn't give me a real one. He said, the reason why it's disgusting is because a body part separated from the body doesn't function and it's gross to us. But when our body parts are working together, functioning, we have a healthy body. That's a beautiful design by God. Some people like to encourage that word is come along beside counseling. Walking with somebody. You know, we have some really, really, really good encouragers in this, in this congregation. We want to find a place for you to do that more often. 
The last one is mercy. That means you see somebody hurting and you love to move to help. And you do that so often. You're probably gifted in that way. The sixth one is generosity. That's where I was going to go originally. I was just going to do one verse. But there's so much more that we need to teach I think everybody is called to do all seven of those gifts at one time or another in the body, but some people excel at them. Everybody is called to give mercy. Everybody is called to give to the kingdom. Everybody is called to encourage. Everybody is called to teach. First Peter says, you should be ready to give an answer when somebody asks you, why do you have the hope in Jesus that you have? You get to teach. Everybody is called to speak truth into a situation, but some people are extra good at it. But I wanted to spend just a little bit of emphasis on the giving part. It's basically you give money or supplies or your time, and then some people excel at it generously. Everybody is called to give, and some people are better at it than others. A couple of weeks ago, we did this thing where we prayed for our teachers in the community. And we gave them a gift. Cheryl Brockmeyer put this together. It's a candy bar. It's a caffeinated beverage. And it's hand sanitizer. And a little note that says, you know, we love you. We're praying for you. We care about you. And you know who got this gift? It was teachers or people connected to school who showed up to our church service at 930 or 11 that particular Sunday morning. Believe it or not, there's a lot more teachers in our community then showed up here on Sunday morning two weeks ago at 9.30 or 11. A ton more. I said, Cheryl, this is, this is a great idea. This was so good. I think the teachers really liked it. Why couldn't we do that every month? Except, except the school's just right across the yard. Why can't we take the teacher's a drink and a candy bar and just a little note that tells them we love them. Let's, let's do that every month. Let's do that every other month. Let's just go. We tell them we're praying for you. We care about your safety. We care about your uh, emotional health. We care about your spiritual health. And we're here and we just want to give you a gift. Let's do that every month. She said, Dale, that's, that's a pretty good idea. But you know, those cans of soda and those candy bars total about $4 a piece. And there's 160 teachers across the yard. She said, right now we don't have it in our budget but I want to do that. So she said, Dale, why don't you ask people to just step their giving up just a little bit so we can put it in our budget to reach deeper into our community to serve in such ways as just a little soda. After church last hour, there was a member that came up to me and he said, I want to get the sodas for every single teacher. That guy has a gift of generosity. We're going to let him use that gift, no doubt about it. But what if we all, what if we all put it in our minds that we're going to give into the kingdom just a little bit more so that we can do it more than once? Teachers need to be appreciated. That's good. But the main focus is we want to win people to Christ. And sometimes we'll do that with acts of kindness and service and prayer. And sometimes it takes money. Other times it takes time. We've been asked by Wilmington High School, and they ask a bunch of community businesses and churches, not just ours, would we provide a meal for their football team on September 16th? And so 
I said, yes, we can do that. We need a team that's going to be able to help put together a meal. We have to cook it here, and then we drive it over to school, and we give it to the football players. A couple of years ago, I asked one of the coaches in Wilmington school system. I'm not going to tell you what sport he coached. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, Here's what the conversation went like. I said, um, I'm watching this sport, and I see a lot of talent in the Wilmington high school system. Why doesn't it win more? And this coach told me, a lot of these kids have no parents. They've never had anybody teach them what respect looks like, what hard work looks like, what dedication looks like, and, what, and how to make it as a person. And then they're given into a sport that they have a little bit of talent for, but because they have nobody else pouring into them, everybody expects the coaches to fix them and make them better students and more respectful to their, uh, their peers and adults to live a way that is res- uh, in just be able to live life. And he said they don't have anybody pouring into them. What a great opportunity for us to be a light in the community to provide a meal for football players. And we give them bread to fill their stomachs, and then we give them the bread of life to transform their hearts. We give them drinks so that they can have nourishment and energy for the game, but we give them the water of life where they will never be thirsty again. And we're going to need the entire church to help with this. We're going to need the people that are able to speak truth into their life. We're going to need the people that serve and don't need any, any accolades. They don't need any applause. They're just behind the scenes serve. We're going to need people to show up and be spiritual parents for these boys. And maybe it's just one time. But maybe it opens the door for us to serve more often. And we become the spiritual grandparents they need to teach them wisdom in life and the spiritual parents in need to offer them corrective discipline and love. And maybe spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ that can be around them to show them actually how to live life. Well, we need gifts of mercy. We need gifts of service. We need gifts of generosity. We need gifts of leadership. We need gifts of speaking into the... We need the church to show up to serve one meal. Because that's how a healthy church functions. That's how we attain the goal of winning people to Christ. And that's how we grow them up in Christ. But it takes an entire body to function correctly. The easiest thing to do, and the one that will have only small effect, is we just take a meal and drop it off. We probably only need one person for that. But to be healthy, we need a church. We have people that serve at your father's kitchen. And your father's kitchen, they serve meals. That's only like one-eighth of the things they do. In fact, we're collecting food for them right now. Pork and beans and ramen noodles and any type of canned soup. You can drop it off in the atrium if you bring it in. We're going to go donate it at the end of the month. They need food. But you know, only giving away food is only a, a part of what they do in our community. Lee Sandlin, who uh, helps lead, he serves, uh, I think it's maybe 60 shut-ins a week out of that food pantry. If your father's kitchen goes away, those people who are getting served food, they stop getting food. When addicts who finally want to get sober come to Lee, they say, I really do want help. He gives them a taxi and fare to go to a counseling center where they can start getting sober. 
they can start getting unaddicted to the drugs they're on. If your father's kitchen goes away, that service in our community goes away. We have families in our community that go to your father's kitchen, they have a home, they have a job, and they still can't quite make ends meet. So they go there and they get a little bit of a pick-me-up with food during the week. As a church, we get to help do that. We have people that go serve. You know, Lee said, if you'll come and just sit with the people and give them dignity, it'll help them take their next step toward functioning life. He said, you just come, I'll serve the meal, and you just sit with them and talk with them. Pastor Rich Bowl, we saw him give his testimony last week. He said he took a Connect Four in to serve one day, and he sat at the table with a homeless man, and he said, your move. And the guy said, what are you talking about? Get away from me. He goes, okay, if you don't want to get your butt beat, I'll go to somebody else. And the guy goes, okay, wait a second. And he sat down, and he just played Connect Four with him. He said pretty soon they were laughing, they were talking, they were giving each other dignity. He was giving that person dignity so he could make one step toward life that would be healthy. We need a whole church to do that kind of work. And Paul tells us if we have the right attitude, equal in salvation, but essential for service, it's going to lead to the right actions that please God for worship. Where do you fit in that? If you don't know what your spiritual gift is and you don't know where you fit in the church, I'll give you two ways that you can figure that out as we move forward. One is you can ask questions. Where do I like serving? What draws my heart? What am I good at? You know, start start there. Do I need attention or the limelight like some people? Or can I work behind the scenes? where nobody knows that I'm serving. You know, ask those questions. The second option you have, and I think this is the best one, is start serving somewhere, and if it's not a fit for you, find another place to serve. Sometimes we have children's ministry go serve and volunteers, and they go serve that way, and they're like, kids are not for me. I don't want to do this anymore. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're not suited for that area of ministry. That's okay. Go find a new area to serve in. We have areas to serve that all involve little training. We have areas to serve that have a lot of training. We have areas to serve where you need background checks and and training. All of those help us function as a church. And it's not just on Sunday morning. It's meeting people in the community. And it's not just to have service projects. It's not just to feel good about ourselves. We have a goal of winning people to Jesus Christ. We do that by the blood of the Lamb, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead the gospel of Jesus. We do that with our testimonies. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is how I've been changed. This is what the church has done for me. And this is what the church can do for you to change you. And we, do, we win by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, willing to die for Jesus, Revelation 12, 11. That's been our theme for the year. And you know, we've seen some people come to faith because of the testimonies given by this church, because we're all working together for that one purpose by design. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.